So anyhow, what we want to do is we want to pick up where Victor left off in Matthew 21. We're going to continue on that journey that we were reading about. And so as, uh, as Victor read, it's quite interesting. There was a conversation going on between Jesus and the apostles about what was going to take place when they got to Jerusalem. So it's Passover. They're headed over to Passover. And Jesus is going to the cross. And so we're going to pick up. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put put their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. Of Galilee. We want to look at a few things here. There's three groups of people that we see here immediately. One is Jesus and his apostles. They're on the journey into Jerusalem. We see the crowd. And so, uh, and then of course, the third one is the apostles. There's Jesus, the apostles, and the crowd. And so, what we know from the text is that from the text prior, is that Jesus is going to be crucified. And it's important to understand is that he, he states that to his apostles. And he says, look, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be crucified. And that's what I'm going there for. And they think they're going there for the Passover. So let us continue. In this text, we see Jesus said to go. He told them to go into the city that was before them. So the question that comes from this is, have you gone? Have I gone? Jesus calls us to go. To go in our daily lives. To go and be involved in the lives of the people around us. To be the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. To bring the message of hope. To bring the message of salvation. But we have not gone. Why have we not gone? Well, we may not have gone because we need reassurances. You need reassurances. Do you constantly need to be reassured of your faith? Do you constantly need to be reassured that Christ is with you? Maybe the fact that we don't quite believe the Word of God, and so we suffer with unbelief. But there is an answer for suffering with unbelief. We can pray and ask the Lord to help us in our unbelief. Additionally, we understand is that we are filled with excuses because we are fallen. All in human beings, we have our own agendas. And so oftentimes, 
We put things off because we don't want to be a part of it. We don't want to be doing it because it's not convenient for us. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The first thing we need to understand is that if we're going to go, we need to pray. We need to pray. Where does God want us to go? Are we where God wants us to be? Are we doing what God wants us to do? And the only way that we can find that out to discover that is to pray. We need to be in earnest prayer before the Lord, allowing Him to search our souls and illuminate our hearts and our minds to where we're at. That we are not making excuses for ourselves in prayers, but we are earnestly seeking the Lord's direction. But if you're anxious, and if you're in a place where you're making a decision, and you're not sure, and you're constantly just wringing your hands, I don't know whether I should go, whether I should stay, what I should do, what I shouldn't do, you can be at peace and reassured that if you follow the Scriptures, if you pray, and if you seek God's face, He will give you and I the direction that we need in the decisions that lay in front of us. So go. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Somebody here today is in the throes of a decision. And it's big in your life. It's going to impact your life. Maybe the life of your family, the people around you. But go and know that God goes with you. Be strong and be courageous. You have sat under the truth. You have prayed. You have sought God's face. You have sought counsel. Now be strong and be courageous and take that first step. You have to take that first step in faith because your dreams, whatever dreams God has given you, is out ahead of you. You have to chase that dream. You have to chase Jesus with everything in you and believe Him and trust Him that He's going to bring that to fruition. Yes, we don't know how it's going to turn out in every little detail, but we know we will be successful because Christ goes before us and He has called us to pursue that which He has put in our hearts. And in reality, we are pursuing Him. So continue, go, pursue Him. Pursue Him in your dreams, in your visions, in the desires that you have that are from God, that He's shown you in prayer. In the middle of the night when you are struggling and you have an idea and something comes to mind of how you might serve Christ, serve Him, pursue it, embrace it, make it your own, partner with Christ because He is calling you. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power, of love, and of self-control. He has not given us the spirit of cowardice. Today we live in a world that is all about cowardice. It's about who can I hide behind? Well, how can I take cover from being, being in the sights of the world? Because somebody's going to accuse me. Somebody might cost me my job. Somebody might cost me a friendship. Somebody might cost me money. Do not cower. Do not cower because Christ calls us to a place of victory. And yes, when we pursue Christ, we will be attacked. We'll be attacked by Satan. We'll be attacked by the world. We may even be questioned by the people around us. Remember when Jesus was telling Peter he was going to the cross. What did Peter say? Oh, not you, Lord, not you. And yet he was one of his closest, the apostle Peter. But what did Jesus say? Get thou behind me, Satan. So when somebody is trying to discourage you, no matter how loving and how 
close they are to you. But understand is that the enemy will work through whoever he can to prevent you from fulfilling your destiny that Christ has called you to. Your destiny is in Christ. My destiny is in Christ. And it's because of the redemption that we enjoy from the cross that we can have victory. It's not just in this life. And we continue. And in Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For works, that dream, that vision, that goal of what you want to do for Christ, what you want to do to impact the world, to make it a better place, to impact your family, to improve Christ's presence in your family. Pursue it, because God perhaps ordained it. You will know that within your own heart and within your own soul. I don't know that, but you know that. And you know that even as you sit here in front of me. Even, even now, you know. God is speaking to your hearts even now about what He has called you to do and you have been reluctant to follow through on. Some of you, He's called you to rededicate your lives to Jesus because you haven't been living your life the way you should. You know you've been living out on the edge. You know that you have been living a different life, but not the life that Christ has called you to. And today Jesus is calling you to rededicate yourselves to Him. Rededicate your purpose. Rededicate your family. To take up the cross and to follow Him and to be the example He has called you to be so Christ might shine and be glorified and honored. We continue on, and in Timothy it says, He's not given us a, or he says he's not given us a spirit of, of cowardice, but of power and of love. With power, there has to be love. Power without love is not Christ. Christ, as Jesus was coming in, it says he came humbly into Jerusalem. He who has authority over everything, heaven and earth, he who has created everything that lives and has had life, came humbly, and he calls us to go humbly. Don't be proudful. Don't be boastful. Don't be arrogant. These are things that God hates. Pride comes before a fall. You want success in your life? Humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before one another. You can feel when pride's coming up. I feel it in myself. I feel this puffed upness that comes in me about how wonderful and great I might be. And I am nothing but a vile creature. Because I have been born in sin. And it is only the redemptive work of the cross that I can be redeemed from my vileness. You have the same thing in you. The sin. The sin that continues to war against our spirit as we go through this life. Every day we're constantly having to fight. But we use a different kind of weapon. We use the power of prayer. We use the power of faith. We use the word of God. And we use those as our weapons. We use love as a weapon to defeat the enemy. We use persistence and consistency in our walk as a weapon. So let us continue, not to go in cowardice, but to go in power and go in love and go in self-control. Self-control is so important. Because there are times you're going to want to lurch out at somebody. There's going to be times you want to just... Speak out at somebody because they've injured you or somebody you love. Or you don't like the way they are, or what they're saying, or what they represent. But it's at that moment that you need to be in tune to the Spirit. And the Spirit is saying, whoa, just 
Be still. Be still. Be still. Control your emotions and let me work through you. And Christ will work through you in a most miraculous way in your homes, in your workplace, in the schoolyard, wherever you are, wherever you meet conflict, wherever you meet people that are difficult to deal with. And sometimes those people are us. Sometimes that's us. But be under self-control. Begin to practice it. When you go through life and you want something, you want to indulge in it, say no. Say no just to practice self-control. Because once we can submit our flesh to the self-control of the Spirit of saying no to certain things that we want, then it makes it a little bit easier to be able to say yes to the things that God wants. Because we have to mortify the flesh. We have to crucify the flesh. Yes, it's sacrifice. Yes, it's painful. But yes, it's good for you. It is good for you. I remember when I was a child, my mother, before we went to school, would always have this this cod liver oil that she used to make us take before we went to... And then, and, and then she would give us this, this vitamin V, or iron, iron. Oh, that was the worst. And we'd have to take it in liquid form. And then I would be fighting her, resisting her. And of course, there was my father, which was like, you're going to take it. Otherwise, you're going to have to deal with me. And so we learned early on that the things that we thought were not good for us because they didn't taste well were really what we needed. And so we took that cod liver oil, we took that iron, and you know what, we became healthy and God blessed our lives. And, and so there are things in life that we don't want to do, but they're necessary for us, even as adults. Even in our older age, we need to understand is that we need to say no to certain things in life. We live in a world today that everything is about yes. Everything is about do it. Everything is about whatever makes you happy, however it makes you feel good. It's all about feelings. Christ doesn't doesn't build our faith on feelings. He builds it on truth. And so sometimes truth is painful, but truth is always good for us. And so when we're looking at our lives and we're looking at our families and we're praying and we're looking at our own selves, we're looking at our workplace, we're evaluating our lives, which is a good thing, Evaluated in truth, not based on emotions. Evaluate it based on the Word of God and filter it through your biblical understanding of what life should be. That's why it's important to be in the Word of God. Because when you're in the Word of God, you can get God's perspective on what life should be. You can get God's perspective on how we should interact with one another. And when you're faced with decisions, you can get God's perspective and how to respond to that decision that you need to make. And as we continue on in Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. As we read the story of Jesus coming into Calvary, or coming to uh, Jerusalem, really where He's headed is to Calvary. That's where He's headed. The crowd doesn't know that, but the crowd soon is going to turn fickle. The crowd is laying out, laying out the cloaks, laying out the palms. Hosanna, Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? Hosanna means save us. Save us. 
They're crying out, save us, and they don't even know why they're crying it out. Crying out, save us. Even the apostles aren't totally, completely confident that they understand what's going on because they're not supportive of what Jesus is doing. Their mind is somewhere else. But yet, praise God for His grace and His mercy because that's us oftentimes, right? We're like the apostles. We're not quite clued and zoned in to what Jesus has called us to do in the ministry, in the, what our families, ministry to our families, ministry at work, ministry in the schoolyard. These are things that God has foreordained, these good opportunities for us, good works, he says. For we are created His workmanship. Christ created us. And now he calls us to good works. After salvation, good works becomes important because good works helps others to see Christ in us. Why do you do what you do? I wouldn't do that because Jesus calls me to do it. He calls me to love you. He calls me to help you. You have opportunities to explain your motivation because it's not something others might do or would, would otherwise do. And as you continue, you see in Ephesians, he said he's prepared it beforehand. Wow, doesn't that sound like Jesus coming in to the city? Is that the prophet had already spoken that this is what should be done? Living prophecy? Our lives can be a prophetic experience. Because on this verse, what we see is that God has prepared things beforehand. And God's prophecy of our lives is being fulfilled as we obey Him. Because the prophecy is, that we be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Is that at the end of time, is that when we go home to be with the Lord, that we will see Him as He is and we will be like Him. But when others see us, it can be said, we know they have been with Jesus, like it was said of the apostles, because we look like Him. And at the end of the day, don't we want to look like Jesus? In every instance, in every aspect of life, We want the love of Christ to shine forth out of us. We want to be able to treat our sons and our daughters, our wives and our husbands with that love of Jesus. To be patient, to be kind, to be long-suffering. The fruit of the Spirit that we heard about in Sunday school today can be an active part of our lives as we mature in Christ. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, And so do we have a form of godliness? But deny the power thereof? We are in danger of living a religious life, abdicating faith in Christ to an emotional experience to determine whether we go and follow Jesus and and where he has sent us. So the question is, are you living a religious life or are you living a faith-filled life? Are you following Jesus or are you following some prescription of what you think is the Christian life? Because if you're following somebody else's understanding of what the Christian life should be, you might be in danger of living this kind of life that has a form of godliness but denies the power that is at the center of this life, which is Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we live life, ask the Holy Spirit to examine you so you will know for yourself, is this truly faith? Or is this an experience that has become root in my life? Something that continues to happen over and over again because it's convenient for me. Because we want a living faith. And a living faith comes from abiding in Christ on a daily basis. As we abide in Him, as we obey Him, as we 
join him in his mission. Because we're all on mission with him. We can experience the love and power of God. And so, we continue on. Now we see that Jesus is our example. 1 Peter 2, 21-23. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you and for me. He is our example, and we must follow in His steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when He was insulted, nor threatened revenge when He suffered. He left His case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. This is from the ESV. So what do we see here is that Jesus is our example. That we can live at peace. We can leave it in the hands of God. And we understand is that Christ Jesus died at the cross, took our sin upon Himself. Our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And He suffered and He died for you and for me. And He calls us to do the same. To die to self. We have to die to self every day. And every day there are opportunities to die to self. Every day. In our thought life is where it begins. Before it even hits our lips, or hits our hands, it's already trying to establish itself in our minds. That's why the Bible says is that we should not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds daily in Romans. Is that it's vital for our Christian life to be in the Word of God. And so we continue. We see that Jesus is our example in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There will be difficult times. There will be times of tribulation. There'll be times of sadness in our lives, and there'll be times where we don't understand. But yet we are still called to go. We have to go. You can't stay where you are and grow in Christ. You have to go. You have to go to your knees. You have to go to the Word of God. You have to get out into the world. You have to make friends of people you may not want to make friends of so you can be in a position to share the Word of God and the love of Christ Jesus. We have to go. We have to go. We have to go to our knees. And Jesus is our example. In Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone wants to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in his Father's glory with his angels, and will repay each one according to what he has done according to what He has done. And what is this doing? It's accepting Christ's invitation to come to Him by the grace of God. It is this irresistible grace that the Father pours out on to His people and says, come. 
It is not of you. It is not of me. It's not what we do. It's not what we don't do. But it is God's grace. It is God's irresistible grace wooing us to Himself, calling us to Christ, calling us to put down our thoughts and our opinions about what the Christian life is and to live according to the Word of God. Are you dying to self? Dying to self is something that happens every day and it happens many times in a day. And when we don't hit the mark, we have an advocate in Jesus who is interceding for us in prayer, who is encouraging us and has given us His Holy Spirit that we might live the Christian life because we can't live it on our own. And so He calls us to Himself. In 1 Peter 4, 1-2, Jesus in His death did what? He triumphed over sin. We all need this triumphant work of God in our lives, which is the triumph over sin. It, doesn't, it happens one time where God, in Christ, justifies us before the Father. He makes us right. Takes us from the sinful, vile persons that we are, apart from Christ, and moves us into a position where we are seen in Christ and acceptable to the Father. And so this triumph over sin continues, because the Holy Spirit is in us, and allows us to have victory over the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the things that we battle with. And Peter goes on, he says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. There it is, the same mind. What are you feeding your mind on? We say we're Christians, but what do we feed our minds on? It should be the Word of God. It needs to be the Word of God. It must be the Word of God. It can be nothing else but the Word of God. Otherwise, our Christian life is nothing. Yes, Christ keeps us, but how can we say we are Christians if we are not feeding on the things of God? If we're not feeding on the things of God, we shouldn't say ourselves to be a Christian. Because we're not. I would question my Christianity if I don't desire the things of God. Do you desire to be in prayer? Do you desire to be holy? Holier. We're already made holy in Christ, but He still calls us to a holy life, which is to live life according to the Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we continue, Peter says, For he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You want to know why we have difficulties in life? Painful experiences? so that we might be separated from those things that would not want to attach itself to us to take us away from Christ and His love. Sometimes it's our children. Sometimes it's our spouse. Sometimes we are so in love with our family that Christ allows their sickness and disease to take place. I'm not saying that's for everyone. but I'm just saying sometimes that's allowed. Because it moves our focus from the flesh, which we have a responsibility to our families. Or maybe you lost a job, right? Maybe you wanted a promotion that didn't, you didn't get, but you deserved. But why? But why? Because Jesus wants to be the all in all in our lives. Nothing else can compete with Him. He is preeminent. 
And as we continue to make Him preeminent in our lives, which is by obeying His Word, and obeying Him as He speaks to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, then more and more we are filled with the presence of, of Christ. And more and more He saturates us with Himself. He actually consumes us with His presence. And more and more as we are consumed by the presence of God, the things of this world become pale in comparison and allows us to be able to live this courageous Christian life that can go through the difficulties that we experience with joy and hope that we will once again experience God's peace in our hearts and in our lives. In His resurrection is the victory over the grave. John 5, 28-29 Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to the resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to the resurrection of, of judgment. To those who are in Christ, there is no judgment for us. To those that are apart from Christ, judgment is their lot. And they will be based on their deeds. And guess what? None of us measure up. It is only in Christ that we can measure up because God the Father sees us in Christ and He accepts Christ's work at the cross as being complete for us to justify us. So I ask you, who are you following? Who are you following? Are you following Christ? Are you following the world? Are you following Christ? Are you following your own devices in your own heart and mind? Today, Jesus invites us to himself. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which one must be saved. There is no other God but Jesus Christ. There is no way to salvation but Jesus Christ. There is no forgiveness of sin except by Jesus Christ. He is our God. He is our King. He is our Lord and our Savior. He is who we sing about. He is who we worship. He is who we praise. He is who we want to emulate in our everyday lives. It is He. And when we have our last breath, we will find ourselves in the presence of our glorious Savior. And with that... Let us pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. And we pray that your word would just penetrate our hearts and our minds. And as we leave today, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would just continue to remind us of what Jesus has done and the great price that was paid that we might be counted free, free men, free women in Christ to be able to serve you and to be free from the penalty of sin, which is death. We thank you and we praise you and we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.